Hello and welcome to the Scottish Politics Podcast. My name's David Clegg, I'm the political editor of The Daily Record, and your host today I am with what is a podcast veteran, Kezia Dugdale, the former leader of the Scottish Labour Party, and from the Liberal Democrats, Alex Cole Hamilton. And I believe you two knew each other from a previous life. And what stays at Aberdeen Uni in 1999. <laughs> yeah, uh, Alex was my student president when I was in Fresher uh, back in 1999. Uh, I think you drove me home in a minibus from one of those it's, Fresher events. It's remarkable you're still alive. I seem to remember sitting on a, a few meetings at the UMC as well. Were you not on the UMC? Yeah, you see, I was the cool one because I was on the union management committee which set the bar prices and organised the club nights. And you were on the student representative council which were all the geeks did the politics. You know, what, you know got done things done like abolishing tuition fees and... and raising hell against uh, the Second Gulf War. and Yeah, but I got 50p vodkas at Spinning Wheel yeah, and okay. Civils. You win. A, a, a Liberal Democrat has just voluntarily raised tuition fees on the yeah. podcast. Brave, courageous, <laughs> courageous. L- l- luckily, we'll not, we'll not get into that. You don't, you don't seem old enough, Alec. When were you president of this? Do you know what? I've always liked you, David. <laughs> always liked. I was president of Aberdeen SRC 99-2000, so right at the start of uh, devolution. And okay. we were involved in negotiations around the First Coalition. And uh, yeah, no, it was an amazing time to be in student politics. Okay. Well, as you two know each other well, the uh, audience both know you well as well, so we don't need to go into too much of that. So let's just talk about the week of politics. And the first thing I want to talk about uh, involves you in particular, Kez. It's been uh, all over the papers uh, earlier in the week, and it is about uh, the, f- the legal fees that you're facing and who's going to be co- <coughs> covering them. I'll just give some background first of all because there is a, a live legal case involved in this so we have to be a little bit careful what we say about it but it's a defamation uh, action from the blogger Wings Over Scotland it relates to comments you made in a Daily Record column quite some time ago now when was the column written? March 2017 Okay so it's a year and a half ago I should say that I was involved in part of this obviously through my role at the record and I remember when this uh, action was first lodged or we were first made aware of it uh, and obviously as the publisher we were uh, preparing to take on the legal challenge. At that point you were the leader of the Scottish Labour Party and the party was very insistent that they would, that was too much at risk for them that they had to be in charge of the process and it had to be their own legal team. So can you just, just tell us what's, what's happened this week then? Yeah, that's a very fair account of what happened at the time. The Labour Party promised uh, unequivocal support. The then General Secretary was Ian McNichol. And the Labour Party had a, a head of legal called John Stolliday. And there was no uh, question mark over it. They were going to uh, support this case. Fast forward 18 months, and it's pretty shocking that it's taken that long to get to the preliminary hearing. We're not even at the full proof yet. And I had to find out by email uh, from my solicitor that the Labour Party weren't prepared to um, pay any more legal bills. Safe to say the one major factor that's changed in that time is the General Secretary is no longer Ian McNichol. It's a woman called Jenny Formby. Um, and I, when I found that out by uh, email, I was pretty crushed, to be honest. And you know, I was just saying to Alex on the way up here, because we have known each other for a long time, I probably hit one of the lowest personal moments in my life. You know, I've lived through a lot of very stressful situations. I've developed mm. coping mechanisms in stressful situations. But I lost the ability to cope with this for a few days. First of all, how was I going to pay? This could mean my house, my livelihood. You know, you can't be an MSP if you're declared bankrupt. That's all assuming that I eventually lose this how, case. How much money is involved here? 
So um, he is suing me for £25,000 and if if he wins it's possible that a judge could also say I have to pay costs associated with his legal representation. Um, The Labour Party briefed that they had spent £90,000 so far in this case and it's not even gone to full proof yet so we're talking hugely significant sums of money enough to um, make me really um, worry about my own personal financial security so I I had a, a moment of crisis around how am I going to pay and then secondly how could my party do this to me? And what's the reaction been from your colleagues in the party here? Um, lots of my colleagues have been um, very supportive and not only have they given me that personal support on a one-to-one basis, but they've also let me know that the party membership at large are very angry and very worried about this decision. And they've been keen to also say that that support comes across the political spectrum. I'm very well aware that I've upset a few people in the party over the past 18 months or two years, but even some of those people who would no longer consider themselves natural supporters of of me and the politics that I represent are still full square behind me and think this is outrageous. I mean, it does seem an extraordinary thing for the Labour Party to do to just withdraw legal support in such a way in a way that they would almost certainly criticise if another organisation did it. Trade unions would have a lot to say about this type of behaviour if it was other institutions. And yet they've done it and they've just emailed you. Um, they didn't even email me, I found out from my solicitor. So you've had no direct correspondence with the party about this at all? Only after I'd been notified by my solicitor the Labour Party were no longer prepared to pay. So have you spoken to Richard Leonard about it? Um, I have repeatedly um, asked Richard Leonard for support. And? Um, he's he's been very supportive recently. Okay, and what about Jeremy Corbyn? Um, again, because I've, you know this is a real crisis point for me. I've been looking for um, help pretty much wherever I can find it. I've twice tried to contact Jeremy Corbyn, somebody I used to be in regular contact with, we'd regularly exchange texts with. Um, I know he's read those messages, but he's yet to respond. Okay, what do you make of this, Alec, as an outsider? Well, I did, obviously, when it comes to the internal workings of the Labour Party, I don't really have any skin in that game. But And irrespective of my previous long-standing relationship with Kez, my friendship with Kez, I think to do this to anybody, to make a commitment to financially support a legal action, and then to withdraw that commitment without even corresponding that to the person concerned is utterly reprehensible. And I know I'm not alone. It's not a, a just a Lib Dem view. I know right across the Parliament there is outrage at the way Kez has been treated. Let's remember, Kez carried the Labour Party in Scotland through some of its darkest hours, through the, the wipeout in 2015 and subsequent elections where she's you know really put her time in. So I, I can understand entirely why the Labour Party at the time would have said, yes, Kez, we've got your back. To now then quietly withdraw, leaving her to literally carry the can, is an utter disgrace. So what happens next, do you think? Well, it's a matter of um, securing the ability to defend myself. Um, That's something I know the Daily Record have an active interest in. Um, It may be that this case doesn't uh, come to court until um, Easter uh, at the earliest now. We don't have assigned dates, but that's the feeling. So I just have to um, try and stabilise myself and carry on uh, doing my job as an MSP, a job that I love and a job I want to do for a very long time. Yeah, And I know that um, this has not all been... Uh, signed off completely because obviously there's lots of uncertainty about what's going on but the Daily Record have been speaking to you about maybe taking back up uh, some of the legal action involved here uh, and we'll we'll see where that goes from there. Uh, it's a, I have to say it's one of the uh, strangest and uh, most unusual cases I can remember personally but to, and the way the Labour Party have behaved in this way seems very, very, very unusual. 
Can I just add, uh, David, I think that we, we are entering a very dangerous and strange time in Scottish politics around litigation. And I think that um, we can see in the, the crowdfunder that Alex Hammond raised in £100,000 in 24 hours, it's becoming a weapon of choice. And I, I think that's a very dangerous space to, to get us into because it's a real threat to our democracy. If you have people with resources um, like that who can take on people who don't necessarily have access to resources, it re- represents a tremendous power imbalance, particularly when that's on the side of the governing party. Okay. Well, we'll I'm sure we'll come back to this subject, but we'll, we'll move on just now. Uh, I want to talk about First Minister's questions. It's just about two o'clock on Thursday afternoon here. Uh, we've had First Minister's questions. It was a pretty low-key uh, First Minister's questions, I would say. The most interesting thing for me uh, came from Richard Leonard, the Labour leader, who was talking about the tourist tax for Edinburgh. Uh, and as you two both represent Edinburgh. It was worth discussing. Let's just check, first of all, whether you guys are supportive. I should I should explain that the idea, which is uh, being uh, consulted on by the current Edinburgh City Council administration, is that a £2 or a 2% levy on a hotel room in Edinburgh, which they say would raise £11 million per year. Uh, are you supportive of this proposal, personally, Alec? Yeah, I think first things first, any FMQ which doesn't have Willie Rennie giving a questions will always be low-key. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's important that we actually empower local authorities to make this decision for themselves. I don't, you know, I have a view about whether it's needed in Edinburgh. I think it is. We've seen a massive boon in tourism recently. That's having an impact on services and indeed the services that tourists enjoy. So I think it happens in major cities around Europe. It doesn't in any way deter tourism and tourists and they expect it. So I think, yes, if we can empower our local authorities to make this decision, I'm entirely fine with that. And I suspect you're going to agree, Kez, is that right? Yes, but maybe be a little bit more reflective. You know, I, I used to be in those rooms where you would decide what you would pick for First Minister's questions, and it boils down to two main things. One, what do you care about? And two, what's going to get you on the telly? Uh, Ruth Davidson went for the what's going to get you on the telly approach to ask about um, vaccinations. Richard Leonard went for something he cared about, which is trying to find alternative means to raise money to fund public services. And I think there's a compelling case to say you could have a tourist tax in Edinburgh and use that money to invest in the public realm to support further tourism in the city. It's a thought I believe I've had for a very long time. Do you think Nicola Sturgeon's got a bit of a political problem here? Because obviously Adam McVeigh, who's the leader of Edinburgh City Councillor, is is an S. MP politician. He's he's asking for this power. She seems to have a different view. It's rare that we have uh, public disagreements between SNP politicians. So do you think, is that, is, that, is that an issue? Let's call this for what it is. It's just an absolute charade. The Greens want this in the budget. The Greens are calling for it. The SNP are going to give it to the Greens. We're all just yeah. going to have to dance a silly tune between now and it's announced in the January budget process. You're such a cynical, such a cynical man. That's absolutely right, though. I mean, every year we get a dance of the seven veils by the Greens as to how hard they're going to ride the government to get what they want. Then they settle for something which is pretty well less and south of what they wanted, and they still do a deal. And why? Because if they force the government to the point where the budget fell, they run the risk of a, a general election in Scotland. And if you're the reason that the SNP government fell, the Greens can't rely on those second votes from uh, yes-supporting SNP voters. Okay. So you think that we'll be seeing a tourist tax in Edinburgh then uh, sooner rather than later? I, I think it's highly likely if the Scottish government take that step. Okay, that's interesting. I've been at the Labour Party conference uh, this week. Uh, I was uh, there for the duration this year, which is not always the case. I was there Sunday through Wednesday. And I would say my own personal experience of it was that there was 
there was less news than, there, than there's been in the last few years because the Labour Party conference uh, in the last couple of years has been all about the divisions between uh, the Corbynistas and the moderates in the Labour Party uh, or divisions over Brexit more recently. It seems to me that uh, Mr Corbyn has kind of won those battles almost. There was, there was very little tension really uh, in Liverpool you weren't there this year for the first time in a, in a few, you wouldn't have been there last year either I suppose but as a, as a veteran of these kind of conferences Kez what did you make of, um, of the last few days? Well last year's Labour Party conference was in Brighton and I actually arrived the day the conference ended because I went to go and see Lord play <laughs> at the Brighton Pavilion so yeah you could say that was a bit of a late entry um, what did I make of conference? Uh, clearly the main news lines are around Brexit and I think um, the Labour Party has come a long way in the past 12 months, not far enough in my view but a long way towards um, a Brexit policy which uh, should protect the interests and rights of working people which is what the Labour Party is supposed to be all about. So if you had said to me that this time last year uh, the Labour Party would not be ruling out a people's vote, I think a lot of people would have laughed at you and said there's no chance of that, but we're slowly but surely edging towards what is the only rational, reasonable way to approach the European debate right now. What did you make of it, Alec? Are you happier with where Labour are in Brexit now? Well, listen, as a Liberal Democrat, we're obviously benefiting from the fact that uh, Labour have prevaricated over this for so long. Lots of Remain voters coming to us as a result. We see it, we're back at 13% in an opinion poll last week. But as a European, why even though you, why... it's in my party's interest to have mm-hmm. Labour not support Remain, I, I absolutely believe in putting country before party here. Mm-hmm. I desperately want Labour to back a people's vote. It, the, the momentum is with it. They are on the wrong side of history for as long as they dither about it. I'm really pleased with some of the... I, I think Keir Starmer actually went out on a bit of a limb. Obviously, there was an ad-lib to the pre-prepared text mm. that was handed to journalists. And I think, grudgingly, the leadership recognised he carried the room with that and felt that he had to. they moved party policy as such. I still think, though, that Jeremy Corbyn instinctively will do everything within his power to resist anything that brings us back into the European Union because he is, at heart, a Eurosceptic. Would you think there's some truth in that case? I do, yes. Uh, and I um, have said before publicly that it's to my great regret that the Labour Party didn't do more to advocate for Europe and why the EU was a good thing during um, the EU referendum. Equally, we failed for many years before that to talk positively about the benefits of immigration. So whatever your analysis of why people voted uh, leave is, whatever your flavour of that is, the Labour Party has a duty to say Brexit is going to wreck the economy and it must be stopped. And here's a democratic way to give the people the say about whether that's the end that they want for their future. Okay. What did you make? We'll come back to Brexit because I want to talk a look ahead to the Conservative Party conference and just see where we think Brexit could be going with Theresa May. But just before we leave Labour, what did you make of the other parts of the conference's plan to transform Britain? Quite a lot of economic or renewable energy policies. Are you quite inspired by where Corbyn is taking the Labour Party in those kind of areas, even if you have concerns about him over Brexit? I think the economic policy is radical and hugely popular. I think people across the country who've had a wage freeze for seven years recognise that the greed of those in the elite has gone too far and that the economy is to be shaken up and restructured. And there's a lot of very practical policies about how to go about doing that. Coming from Jeremy Corbyn, I think that's great. You also saw huge announcements around childcare, which of course is an issue devolved here in Scotland. It's something we've been doing for a while here. But that's a very mainstream middle of the road policy coming from a very radical left wing 
uh, politician which suggests to me they are in the interests of winning elections. That's an election winning policy and it's great to see. And also I noticed he was he was very strong in trying to keep pensioners happy with the triple lock and pensions being protected. He was talking about winter field credit uh, or winter field payments I should say. Uh, so he, he, it, does, it does seem that there's this more kind of almost Blairist focus grouping of, uh, of, of, of voter groups and, and how to try and get as many voters as possible. Obviously, we also saw that they were looking at the north of England and the kind of Brexit supporting areas and how those kind of left behind communities, as they were, as they were called. Do you, because I think there was a suspicion that I certainly had in the Daily Record expressed in the opinion pages, and I think perhaps you might have privately shared yourself about whether the Corbyn team was capable or whether it was efficient. It seems to be that all that under the background machinery's got a lot better over the last couple of years. Would you say that that was, was right? I think that's very fair. And I'm now utterly convinced that they are in the business of winning elections, whereas perhaps in the past I would have thought their project was more about reforming and owning the Labour Party itself as a sort of protest machine. You know, all, all the signs are from this conference is this is a, a party machinery that is very serious about Jeremy Corbyn as a Prime Minister and very serious about the current Labour Party being an electoral force that delivers power. What do you think of that, Alec? And also I'm interested about what you said about the Liberal Democrats there and how the fact that the Labour Party is being quite vague on Brexit has helped helped the Lib Dems peel off Remain voters. It didn't happen in last year's snap general election. Do you think that it is starting to have a, a, a net benefit for the Lib Dems? I think it is. I think that two opportunities are opening up. First, around Brexit, we are the only resolutely pro-European party out there, the, the only party that's actively campaigning for a people's vote. But also the policies that you and Kez have just discussed there and the platform, the very left-wing platform that's been created, creates a differentiation in politics which hasn't existed for a long time. In fact, in 2015, I remember watching our Lib Dems MPs fall as a result of the coalition and actually speaking to Willie Rennie at the time just thinking you know where is there space for the Lib Dem agenda right now because you had a centrist Labour Party led by David um, Ed Miliband and a a centrist Tory party led by um, David Cameron and those two parties have rushed to the extremes so there's an opportunity there for us now we didn't do well in the snap general election because it wasn't about Brexit It, it became about the dementia tax it became about whether Theresa May was strong and stable or weak and wobbly so we got lost in the froth around that and there was other problems that we had as well but I do think and we're seeing that in by-elections local council by-elections right across the country we were the biggest gainers by far in the English local council elections in May people are coming back to us obviously they still have concerns about the, the time in coalition and that's understandable but I do think we are in the upward tilt of the parabola now and coming back to health and would you think that Jeremy Corbyn's agenda as outlined in Liverpool is dangerous for the country? Well, I don't agree with it. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's dangerous. We've got different views on on how to make things work. And I recognise that, yes, we we do need to be socially liberal as a country. We need to uh, create and foster an environment for equalities groups to to thrive and for people to be able to get on. But I think a lot of um, what that kind of left-wing edge of Labour suggests actually hampers social mobility. I got into politics because I want people to be socially mobile. I want to invest in things like education to ensure that they have the tools to get themselves out of poverty and aren't stuck in the benefits trap that certainly previous left-wing Labour governments have presided over. Okay. 
Okay. Let's move on and talk about the Tory conferences there. Uh, coming to Birmingham on Sunday, uh, I'll be there, and you can read about what happens every day in the Daily Record and online. Like but, you. Yeah, but before, let's, let's discuss about uh, where we think that's going, because obviously the, the next few days are going to be very important, not just for the Conservative Party, not just for Theresa May, but for where exactly Brexit lands, I think. Um, what do you think Theresa May can get through in the next few days, Kes? Well, I hope that uh, every Tory advisor worth their salt has packed strepsils and <laughs> because I think if she gets up and gets through a speech without spluttering through it and the letters falling off the wall, she'll have had a better uh, year than she did previously. Yeah. But I think everybody accepts from day one of this party conference it's going to be a car crash um, mm. and there are going to be some very visible public fallouts over um, not least Europe. Uh, and that matters because she is the Prime Minister. She's you no know, doubt coming off conference stage and speaking to European leaders all of the time, trying to steer the negotiations whilst she's at a conference. This is really serious. Uh, so who knows where we'll be in a week's time. Do you think Chagger's is, is dead, Alec? Or, you, or do you think well, she's Well, it's dead? hard to find a member of the Conservative front bench who actually publicly bags checkers anymore I mean that that's the line but behind closed doors they realise it's a lame duck you know they, they hadn't even taken it to uh, to Europe um, and it had started to fall apart and the rebuttal and the rebuff that they got from uh, Europe I think has given it a shot in the arm to the sense that Eurosceptics think well if Europe hates it maybe we should get behind it and perhaps that was part of the choreography but it's it's almost impossible to see how her uh, Theresa May's preferred option of a deal with Europe can find any flotation with the rest of the Conservative Party. She, I think her leadership and her career are now inexorably linked to that plan and if it falls as it has fallen, absolutely certain too, then I think her career falls with it. And it's hurting Ruth. I think that's really apparent. You know, whenever Europe comes up in the Scottish Parliament chamber now, you see Tory heads go down, MSPs go down. They don't want you to look at them. They certainly don't want to (laughs) be answering any questions. Really good example last night, bit niche, but there was a private members debate on uh, Euratom, which -hmm. is our ability to get isotopes across Europe, which make a lot of cancer treatments. We're not going to be part of this anymore when we leave the European Union. This really matters. And you had people like Donald Cameron on the Tories front bench saying, well, I don't speak for the UK government. And Chequers has an answer. To, to this well yes you do speak for the Tory government because you're elected uh, in this place mm. and secondly Chequers is dead so how are you going to make sure cancer patients get their treatment the amazing thing is that I was writing about the Euratom problem 18 months ago and they're still nowhere closer to finding a solution and we got like less than 6 months I, I think that's absolutely the point is that we are now practically days away from the point of no return where we have to either have secured a deal or there's none coming and we just have to accept crashing out of the EU on WTO rules and that means a lot to people on the ground people who depend on radioactive isotopes or who depend on HIV medication or um, who are stockpiling insulin because that's about their lives that's not just about their livelihoods it's whether they can make it to the end of the year and still be alive and I don't think anybody expected that when we were trading insulin and uh, facts and counterfacts during the 2016 referendum campaign that the £350 million Mm. on a bus would be nonsense. But also, not only that, we'd actually have an existential risk to people's lives. As you're both supporters of uh, what's been called a people's vote, cynically, so because the word referendum so toxic in, uh, (laughs) in, in, uh, in any kind of public opinion, uh, what, what do you think is the way to get there. How, how do we get to a people's vote? How, how can that happen? So the maths of this are, are really simple. You need 10 Tories um, 
plus the SNP, plus Labour, and you've got a parliamentary majority mm. and the Liberal Democrats for a people's vote. Mm. Now, obviously, we're not there yet because the SNP are a little grudgingly supportive of a people's vote. If you speak to Mike Russell, you get a much more positive response than you will if you ask the First Minister. And then you have Labour's position, which is not to rule it out. Mm-hmm. Within the Labour ranks, you've got people who are very pro it, very anti it. Um, some very pro-European who are very worried about their Leave constituencies, people like Caroline Flint, who I would desperately want to back <coughs> the people's vote. So if one of them moves, it's now like a blinking race. Yeah. Who's going to uh, be the first to go, the SNP or Labour? I think the other one will have to move as well. And then it's just about foreseeable now that it could happen. Whereas 12 months ago, you know, people thought I, you were... We were crackers. <laughs> I was just yeah. about to say, I mean, the, the Lib Dems have been calling for a people's vote since day one, since the day after the referendum first happened. We said, look, you know, the, the Leave prospectus is evaporating before our eyes, but people have been lied to. So we deserve to take whatever deal we get back to the people. And Kez is right, people thought we were off our rockers at the time and mm-hmm. just thought, look, you've got to respect it. What kind of Democrats are you? But now it leads every single news article that you hear about Brexit. The, the idea of people's vote is no longer alien. And it's really important. I think what Kez says about the SNP is really significant because um, Mike Russell answered a question by Willie Rennie asking him to back the people's vote with a very odd choice of words. And he said that if it was the will of the UK Parliament, the SNP would not stand in its way. Well, the SNP are not non-combatants at Westminster. Yeah. They have 30-plus MPs at Westminster. As Ken said, the vote would be incredibly finely balanced and what they do absolutely matters. But yet they are still finding the angle for it to be leveraged to bring about some kind of guarantee of a second independence referendum if Scotland was yanked out against its will in a second people's vote. So what the, what the SNP are doing really matters, but they are dodging the issue and they are letting the Remain voters who back their party down there's, not, there's nothing unreasonable about them saying that they would like a second independence referendum whenever you're saying that you would like a second EU referendum. What, 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 why would you say there's a difference there? There's a massive difference. First of all, we voted for the status quo, um, irrespective of whether in Europe or not. We voted to remain within the collection of nations that we are in 2014. There was a white paper prospectus mm. for independence, which was, to their credit, pretty well costed and pretty well detailed, but the public rejected it. There was no such white paper for the Brexit deal referendum. You had vague and vacuous commitments written on the side of a bus that was their prospectus on the side of a bus and the very next day they junked it and that says a lot I think about where this debate now lies so it's not incongruous at all for us to say listen we, we're internationalists, we want to stay within the United Kingdom and we want the opportunity to convince the people that they were lied to before. We have faith in the people that when credited with the facts they will reverse that decision and put us back into membership of the EU. Okay, as you once infamously said that... Um it wasn't impossible that you would back a second inconceivable inconceivable was the word which will be seared in your memory forever and Alan Roden <laughs> and very many people um, is it still inconceivable that you could back a not inconceivable that you could back a second independence referendum I don't support independence which is why I don't support a second independence referendum and I think mm. people who uh, want to see change are likely to always want a referendum that's going to deliver that change Alex is right about the absence of a white paper Look, you put it in very simple terms that 630 odd page white paper the SNP produced guaranteed us our place in the Eurovision Song Contest the Tories couldn't even tell us that EU citizens would get to stay before the last EU referendum that was the kind of paucity of detail in what they were coming forward with 
And I think people recognise that the difference between a Brexit which could involve retaining membership of the single market and the customs union versus a no-deal Brexit are such polars apart in terms of what they would mean in real practical terms for people. Nobody can legitimately argue that the democratic will of the people is being respected. And also, you know, democracy isn't just a cross in a box once every five years. It's a living, breathing thing. And most other European countries recognise that. Look at Ireland and what they did over the Lisbon Treaty. The people in Ireland rejected the Lisbon Treaty. They didn't like it. Their politicians went back to Europe, negotiated, got a better deal, put that deal to the Irish people, and then they accepted it. That's the type of representative democracy we should be in the business of doing here. Absolutely. And I think, was it David Davis who said that a democracy that can't change its mind is no longer a democracy? Well, I absolutely agree i believe yes we make collectively bad decisions and sometimes we elect governments that harm us but when we are fundamentally credited with the actual facts of what the proposition on the ballot paper is before us then i absolutely have faith in the british people that they will look at the hideous calamity of brexit all that means in terms of crashing out without a deal and i have faith that they will return us to membership of the eu okay just finally then before we go what do you think is more likely um a general election uh people's vote or some kind of deal? Right now, today, I think um, a reluctant general election uh, that the Tories bring about themselves because they just can't hold it together anymore is probably the most likely scenario. Alec? I, I disagree. I think that um, they, they learned a lot from the SNAP general election. They're, they're not in good health right now to fight a, a general election. And also, general elections are so diffuse. You can't say this is about securing a mandate for a certain kind of Brexit because you lose control of the narrative in a general election campaign. It'll be about tax. It'll be about dementia tax, social care. There'll be so many things that you can't come back and say, yes, it's clear that the will of the people has been satisfied. So I am starting to believe, and this may be just my Panglossian Lib Dem bubble, but I am starting to believe that momentum is now inexorably behind uh, people's vote and that actually when you see people like Amber Rudd you know who was touted as a possible prime minister coming out yesterday and saying this is the only way to resolve this on pass then I think it's more than likely well we'll see in a few months I suppose because there's not much time left on this Brexit <laughs> clock oh well I think that's all we've got time for this week uh, I'd like to thank you for listening and I'd like to thank my two great guests Alex Cole Hamilton and Kezia Dugdale for taking part cheers <laughs>